I V M. Hey, welcome to Shunya One, episode thirty-eight. So today we're gonna have a very interesting conversation about venture tech, working with VCs, and of course some interesting innovation coming up in the healthcare space. All of this with Subhani, who's gonna join us on the show today. Uh, before that, Amit, how's it going? What's happening on our Slack channel? It's been pretty good, man. The Slack channel is uh, we. It's been a little less active this week. I mean, like guys, come on, let's participate. Let's have some discussions over here. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, and you know, I mean, like, Slack is one place. I mean, like, we do. We're we are continuing to get feedback on Twitter. Uh, but come on, I mean, we'd like to use the Slack channel a little bit more. So come on, guys, put some stuff in here. Yep, yep. We've got some. Uh, we had a very interesting episode last week with Samida and some lot of inside gossip on the VC space and startup space. So we're hoping to get a lot more speakers like this with us uh, and guests on uh, on the show. So look forward to hearing your inputs. Uh, let us know what kind of things you want to listen to, what kind of people you want to hear from, and uh, yeah, we love keep doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, onward with the show today. So today we have Suwani Chaparwal, the ex-associate director at Innoven Capital and before this Silicon Valley Bank. I think uh, you've been one of the folks to sort of see the start of venture debt in India and uh, now maybe future entrepreneurs. So thanks for coming to the show, Suwani. I'm really excited. I'm so glad we're doing this now. Yes, uh, finally. Also, I'm, I have a lot of time on my hands now. <laughs> oh, no. I think uh, like most folks in uh, VC who leave VC, what do they do? In fact, that's also an interesting question. What do, I know a lot of founders, when they're ex-founders, they get jobs. <laughs> uh, sometimes in venture capital. Yeah. And, or uh, anybody who give you a paycheck. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Because you've, you've, if yeah. you're an ex-founder, you need a paycheck. Unless you've had an exit. Yeah. Then, then you become a Facebook bot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I can guess who you're talking about. Not getting there, but um, I guess VCs, post-VC, two rungs, right? I think the partners just go on to raise their own funds if they've had some luck or if they still have the energy to go do it like for one whole 10-year piece and then another after. Uh, the lower rung post-MBA, I guess, um, it's it's tricky, you know. I think it's definitely not easy to become an entrepreneur right out of VC. I wouldn't take it for granted that you understand a space or you have a network that you can leverage to really start solving problems. It is so different from working in a small team versus working in a large team and actually making those decisions without guidance as opposed to just guiding in a boardroom. Um, So having said that, uh, and we haven't had a lot of people leave VC firms, right? I think India is still young at that. We don't have a whole crop that's gone out and done Or the life is so good, they just want to stay on. They just want to stay on. (laughs) But but tell us about how your journey's been and what you've seen. Um, So I started in 2012 and I started my career at SPB. Uh, What sold me, of course, was just it's so interesting to be around conversations uh, on why people are buying from Flipkart but not Snapdeal and would Yatra do well because it's a number two and just everything that you really interact with in your daily life, you're working around. So that just made work so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an entry point that really sold me like in the first bit 
of my uh, journey itself. Uh, having said that, I think uh, it's a job that does not feel like one because not only are you working with interesting people all the time, a lot of these people end up becoming your friends and you're socializing with them and you're constantly brainstorming, etc. And it becomes a group. And that also keeps people going on and keeps them motivated. Um, the third thing and more specific to the organizations that I've been a part of is just how fantastic it was to launch a new product. It was to some extent uh, a startup itself. Uh, yeah. Silicon Valley Bank in India was launching Venture Debt, uh, a, a product that the country hadn't seen, a company that the the country didn't know that much about. Uh, SVB is, of course, big in the U.S. It's one of the biggest technology banks and definitely banks like half of all startups that come out of the U.S. and then London and Israel and China. Uh, in India, they started operations sometime in 2008. But uh, backtracking on this, what venture debt is, is it's a co-investment model. We work with VCs to lend to their companies, their portfolio companies, which means the growth in venture debt is always reliant on how big the VC market is. Uh, 2008 to 2012, not that big. Yeah. Um, the check sizes were small, $2 million series A's maybe. Uh, the VC funds themselves didn't have a track record. Uh, maybe the team itself didn't have those kind of relationships where you're really starting to write checks basis that. Uh, and maybe at some point we'll get into why those relationships matter and how exactly is a deal structured and all of that. Um, so when I started in 2012, it was still new and fresh and interesting. So it went from being a lot about business development, solving problems as they come, actually adapting the product to the market. Uh, so, for example, we used to have a lot of uh, committees, etc., which were global. So we had U.S.-based folks who were on our ICs and on our discussions, and uh, they would just not understand how are we funding a jewelry company online or that we have consumer brands here, like chips companies, I know Pratap Snacks, etc. If those got discussed in the committee, they wouldn't consider those as startups. These are businesses. And right. they, I think just uh, going through that adaptation of what innovation meant in India, it was probably more uh, services or more uh, simple problems being solved through simple adaptations and not solid tech, IP, etc. That made uh, maybe the daily parts of the job also more interesting because at, at every point of time you find yourself in a spot where you're simplifying things, you're yourself understanding how the market is behaving. So that was back in the day. So 2012 and 13 was a lot about that. Um, somewhere around 14, 15 is where I think we started really catching steam uh, around the same time when the VC market itself started right. getting super hot. Um, at that point, we were just looking to grow as fast as we could, uh, which is where the startup speak comes in, right? We ourselves actually went through a transition where SVB was bought out by the Masik and United Overseas Bank. And that meant we made projections. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah. will not yeah. tell you if you met them or not. But um, yeah, so I think that's the uh, entrepreneurial side of things. And on the VC side of things, we were actually seeing the ringside view of how VC was evolving uh, and how should we evolve with that. So when people are chasing home services or if they're chasing hyper-local delivery, how does a venture debt shop think about that? And at this point, we were on our own because we didn't have uh, the SVB systems and their know-how that we could sort of more constantly lend to. Here we had to, as a team, make our own decisions and think about what was right or not 
from only the fundamentals that we'd learned before. Um, also, around 2015, we started our Southeast Asia business. Uh, we brought that uh, online. Uh, China uh, just started recently as well. Um, so a lot of outlook change happened from US India to a more Eastern platform that we were trying to build together. And we did realize that there was so much that we could lend to each other as a platform. Um, all these Chinese VCs or Southeast Asian VCs looking into India like Jungle or Shanwai and uh, a lot of Indian companies that were large enough that the Southeast Asian markets were aping them right. in some ways. Um, so it, it's just this huge melting pot and I think the number one thing about any venture debt shop is that the intelligence that you see may be slightly larger than, uh, the, the, it's wider than what a VC firm sees. Okay. Um, so, for example, uh, a venture debt organization typically does not take strategic positions or both seats. And mm -hmm. what that means is that we can work with competing companies. When uh, we can work with competing companies, we can work with the number one and the number two and from the learnings of the two, we are better equipped to understand whether a number three would make sense yeah, or not. It, in, in a sense, in a lot of ways, you are a smarter bank. Yeah. Right? You're a bank which is... Yeah, more nimble bank. And more nimble and more focused on... Uh, Again, the VC uh, early stage businesses. So I think I, I think that's a big sure. difference. No, no, because uh, the key difference I think, from what I understand, is uh, banks for lending uh, for borrowing with banks. I mean, like collateral, and collateral. all that kind of, of stuff course. is there, right? Whereas over here, this is more along the venture model, somewhat. Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. the alignment is uh, long venture, but. So on a spectrum from bank to a VC, and these are all forms of capital, right? And uh, on that, this would definitely lie closer to the VC model because ultimately, what are we lending on the basis of? It's like you said, not collateral, definitely not track record, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, and absolutely not personal wealth and all of that. So that would never work. I mean, asking an entrepreneur to not only put their sort of life blood and sweat, but also their family jewels is asking for too much. So uh, we, our model is similar to VC in that sense that we need the companies to do well. We need enterprise value to be built. We need it to be attractive enough that the probability of success that you will raise the next round of financing, which is ultimately what will pay off the debt, that all comes together. And that, isn't that what a VC is seeing? A Series A investor needs to see a Series B come together. Together. Um, so that journey is definitely closer to VC. Right. So uh, when we were talking earlier, you were kind of outlining, you know, the mechanics of how some of this kind of works. I think that would be kind of helpful to people to understand. So if you could kind of give a little bit more of a primer on like, you know, the way this actually kind of flows through the way a deal would typically go through. Um, so venture that, like I was saying a little bit earlier, is a co-investment model. We're providing alternative form of financing, which is returnable in the sense that it is debt. So it's we're not... You need uh, to pay it back. Yes, yes. simply put. <laughs> we need our money back. And yes. along with that, we need some interest. But, um, so uh, that's the basis. But the kind of companies we reach out to are only startup companies right. that are backed by venture capital investors. Uh, why the VC is important is because we don't take strategic positions in these companies. So we rely on the VC to be our, our eyes and ears and help us evolve on what their thesis is and what the outlook across the market is. Uh, and also because one of the underwriting anchors is the fact that the VC is supportive 
and we rely on the VC. Right. So, for example, there are funds we may have done multiple deals with, and that helps us because one, it makes us form a relationship with the individual itself. Mm-hmm. Second, we start understanding what's a VC's pattern, how supportive are they? Because while there are no guarantees on the table, of course, we ourselves have some judgment on what is the partnership between the VC and the company like? Will there be more support forthcoming? Is there wherewithal to provide more support? For example, at angel or seed stage, that becomes a challenge, which is why venture debt for extremely early stage is a problem uh, compared to working with institutional funds where we have a sense of how they operate. Um, So, which is why the VC is important. Uh, Apart from that, the outlook of on how the deal happens in itself is uh, once we get to know a company and we're evaluating an opportunity we would look at the basics of course the hygiene the finances etc the cash in some ways because uh, similar to uh, how a VC is looking at it the cash flows are important we need to see how much money you have and how long will that last and where's the next round of cash going to come from mm-hmm. uh, Having said that, a bank doesn't do it. So when we compare it to a bank, a bank needs three-year sort of audited financials and Lord knows what. And that just does not work with startups. They are constantly evolving, definitely pivoting, and um, they themselves are figuring things out along the go. And that's a big reason why, at least I personally believe, venture debt needs to be a specialized business. You can't really be a bank and also develop this expertise and be constantly focused on understanding this market. so when we start evaluating the opportunity, we look for some of those hygienic signals. We sort of start speaking with the VC investors, uh, trying to get a sense of the founder himself, because a lot of credit in the underlying is intent to pay back, right? Yeah. You have cash, uh, things are okay. But what happens when you're in a position when you need to decide? Um, so some of those checks and balances will come into play. Um, a venture debt deal on the specs of it is typically maybe 15 to 20% of the cash that you may have in the bank. Uh, alluding to the point I made earlier, but maybe it's Cash tough. you have from your VC investment in the same round as well. Possibly. So yeah. for early stage companies, it would be VC uh, money for maybe a series D or beyond. You also have operating cash flows. Right. So we're marrying the two together. Um, uh, I was saying on the early stage, say pre-series A, it becomes tough. If you're doing five crores, for me to do a one crore check, uh, that's still not enough. It's not enough skin in the game for an investor, for us to take comfort that they're going to follow on. Uh, Maybe even for the founder. It's at five crores, it's probably still a small enough company and it's at the experimental stage. So those fundamentals maybe start getting clearer at a series A, slightly better at series B, uh, so on and so forth. So those kind of qualitative judgments happen at that stage. Right. Right. In fact, uh, I mean, while venture debt as an instrument or rather a, as a form of capital is something more aligned with VCs, like you just said, uh, I have I I may know a little bit of this, but correct me if I'm wrong. You only look at the capital return as a pure uh, interest return. You're not necessarily always taking equity positions on your deals. 
interesting question because yeah. we don't get that a lot. Um, we do need to make the interest. That's the bread right. and butter. Uh, right. The way the model works, though, is as you can imagine, there is mortality in our portfolio as well, just mm-hmm. as in a VC's portfolio. And even though we have, we're slightly better off on adverse selections because we're only working with a certain rung of companies. We're trying to make good companies better and right. not necessarily be the first check on the table. Uh, despite that, of course, there are companies that wouldn't work out. And the way we make up for those losses is by making super normal returns on some companies. So mm-hmm. Venture Debt is actually a structured financing instrument where mm-hmm. along with an interest, we do have an option to uh, make some extraordinary returns if there is an outcome. Ah. So this would work similar to what warrants are called as uh, in the US. Uh, and that make that helps us create some liquidity when there is an, a liquidity outcome for every other party, like uh, if there is an acquisition or if there is an IPO. At that point, uh, think of it as we're back-ending our returns uh, while we're taking the risk up front. We think the companies can possibly pay somewhere around say 13, 15% kind of interest rates. Uh, And beyond that, the risk may be worth 20%. We're just not charging that additional 5, 7% now. We're Mm -hmm. keeping that as an option out. If you do well, we'll take our returns. If you don't, uh, we won't. Yeah, but I mean, you only really owe the money back. Like the founder or the company actually just owes the money plus interest back in all normal scenarios. Unless the liquidity happens. Exactly. Exactly. And what kind of terms typically, or is it also linked with the next round of funding? Uh, On the equity option, it's really a deal structured similar to how an equity does. So things that would make a difference while structuring around would be, is this a correct valuation? Has it been priced recently? A venture that shop does not really price, which means if we're too far away from a VC round that happened, then we need to start thinking about, is that the fair price? Mm -hmm. Uh, And since we wouldn't discover our own, then maybe we're reliant on actually coming up with something that makes more sense. But that part, I would say, is slightly more negotiable and depends on case-to-case basis. Apart from that, the terms are fairly standard. There's a fixed coupon, which is the interest Mm -hmm. rate. Uh, The tenor is what, of course, gets played around with a little bit. Depends on the stage of the company, what kind of runway you're looking at. Um, And uh, along with that, what kind of breather can we give you? So uh, companies typically define this as moratorium. So Mm -hmm. you get a three to six month breather you're, you've just raised money you're enjoying it uh, for <laughs> don't a have while. to start paying back <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, so the other terms are fairly nice, basic nice yeah. no so but see conceptually right it's uh, it's great to know that there's a product like this and of course we've seen that you you guys also when you were operating this uh, these companies have been growing and obviously it's a function of the overall VC landscape growing more investments being made and so on so clearly, there have also been successful returns in these cases. Absolutely. Right? So beyond another form of capital, which makes up maybe 10 to 15%, 20% of the round, how does a founder see this as why this is useful for me versus, of course, taking more money from the same VC or, or even otherwise? No, absolutely. Uh, I think Amit and I were talking that there are some softer reasons uh, as to why people like to take venture debt along with around or think of that as an optimal capital mix apart from the financial reasons. Uh, Financially, it's a little bit of a no-brainer because you're not diluting for that additional capital. So, uh, or let's just say it's extremely minimal dilution, a few decimals, uh, if at all. Uh, And 
either you can use more money to generate more value and hence grow in number or think of it as an insurance policy mm-hmm. when things don't go to plan you have another source of capital you can fall back on and hey it's not as expensive as the equity definitely not as expensive as those interim bridges when they come together because we yeah. take their pound of flush for that um so one is that on the financial side on on the more qualitative side I think we think of ourselves as another partner that you can onboard. So apart from the VCs who, of course, have a slightly more involved relationships, you can have different ideas about what the future growth plans should be like. And uh, there are two decision makers on the table, not one, even though a founder is super empowered, etc. If the views are quite divergent, it's going to start showing. Uh, in that time, you have another partner who is financially invested in your success, but at the same time is extremely objective. Mm-hmm. We're objective because we work with all the VCs in town. So it's not like we would side with one VC on your board versus the other. And we mm-hmm. definitely are invested in the success of our own companies for our own financial returns. Um, and we've seen that play out at scale. I mean, uh, at least at an event last, we had more than 100 companies in the portfolio. And the, mm-hmm. the network gets super powerful. Uh, we have a early stage companies looking to some of our late stage companies just for mentorship advice and a lot of business synergies as well. Uh, We are sector agnostic um, and most venture debt shops are are, since uh, the risk that you're taking is slightly different from actually materializing your own views. So my view that cryptocurrency doesn't work may not really flush out because if there is a VC-backed cryptocurrency deal on the table, uh, I might have to be flexible on my opinions since I'm not as close to the action and my data might not be as primary as that of a VC. So it's, it's slightly more derivative. Uh, And hence, some of those network effects of onboarding a partner who is extremely relevant in the ecosystem and uh, quite wedded to it can can have its own perks. Interesting. Wow. I think the whole point of uh, also basically working on these financial models, I know it's not... I haven't gone through a venture funding myself, so I'm not really done the math around this, but the founders who I know and again in the same network, right? I think uh, they definitely see a lot more value as another instrument of capital. Uh, and like you said, the neutral, uh, the aspect that it's fundamentally neutral. Yeah. And uh, I think over the years, you guys have worked with, uh, I mean, firsthand with almost all the leading startups <laughs> of our uh <laughs> many years now so great I think uh, we're gonna take a quick break and talk some more all right welcome back Uh, I think uh, I mean we got a great uh, understanding of what venture debt as a capital instrument is and uh, of course how it has helped uh, the startup scene here in India I mean uh, even though it was a new product and I think it still is right it's still not too many folks doing it. Obviously, banks haven't figured this out, like you said. Uh, but it's becoming more and more important as a you know cornerstone of the investing community for startups. No, definitely. And we actually saw that uh, tone change when a lot of our business started coming inbound. And this is founders picking up the phone and not really VCs yeah. making a call that it might be good to introduce venture debt in this portfolio company. Since we had those relationships, that was a huge channel for us. But um, the, a whole new segment opened up when 
founders really started themselves thinking about what are optimal capital mixes, partners that they would like to have on board. And uh, I think the number right now would still be single digits of the entire VC market mm-hmm. on how big venture debt is. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the US, it's slightly early double digits, but we'll, we'll get there. I think there are yeah. more players coming in, uh, more capital in this new form of asset class that's being invested by all domestic VCs, it's, uh, domestic LPs, etc. Um, so the segment is only here to grow, I think. Yeah. And also, uh, what can you tell us about the, I mean, the unique viewpoint you had, right? You had venture capitalists as partners who you could question, who you could judge, who you could make your own analysis of. And likewise, on the other side with startups, right? Typically, uh, startups and startup founders don't get to choose their VCs, not many anyway. (laughs) And uh, I may have said on the show that we don't call enough VC folk here, but uh, (laughs) if I have, I mean, I would love to call some more VC folk here to pick their brains. But since you're here now, uh, what, what, what did you, what were you able to gauge in terms of this unique relationship of how the other side, I mean, being able to see VCs from a different angle? Um, I, I, I think what was heartening to see is that more often than not, we did see that the investors and founders were on the same page. And uh, if we've seen the show Silicon Valley, we're forced to think mm-hmm. that that doesn't happen <laughs> as often. But uh, I think there's a lot of congeniality in the whole startup ecosystem, uh, a lot of friendships out there. And I think those are the robust partnerships that have gone on to become really successful VC companies in India. Um, uh, that definitely has come from a certain pedigree of VCs that we have here. Uh, And I may be biased here, it's my personal view, but uh, there is a benefit to having some kind of diversity in the firm that you're partnering with. Uh, it's I, I feel it's telling that uh, if you have most of your GPs in a VC firm coming from a same kind of uh, background mm-hmm. or uh, like experiences. Banking or finance or tech or... Uh, more like consulting. Uh, uh, yeah. we, we don't see as many sort of banking finance folks there, but uh, say consulting or... Uh, people who've broken away from the same venture that they had started. Mm-hmm. We see some of those groups. Uh, I think it's it's a good sign if there's diversity around the table because while one person champions the deal internally, a lot of the decisions get made in a more cohesive fashion. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at least, I mean, at our organization, we were pretty, uh, we took that pretty seriously and every decision gets debated and uh, discussed and that kind of transparency and openness and decision making uh, is probably something that the VCs uh, are better off if they implement in their uh, investments as well. Having said that, uh, the other thing is that uh, at least for some of the top firms, there is now the second or third cycle that they're in. So uh, people know them, they know the market uh, pretty well. So if you're dealing with one of those, at least you know you're seeing the entire picture there is to see. Uh, there are a couple of new VC funds that, that have come in. So uh, I think it all depends on what the entrepreneur is looking to see in the fund. Is it is it their experience that they're counting on or is it just the capital? Nice. Uh, on the experience front, I think the VC industry itself is quite young. Uh, I mean, there are the same kind of issues that we see in this industry in terms of diversity problems, gender diversity, especially backgrounds and all of that. And those things will evolve as the market evolves Mm -hmm. Uh, but having said that if you are in the good place of having of getting to choose which VC you're partnering with uh, I would go beyond the few basis points on the cap table and things like that it's a long partnership it's 
emotional in some ways. Yeah, it's and people after all. Exactly. Yeah. It's essentially people, although they're giving you lots of money. <laughs> it's essentially <laughs> on the back of, uh, hey, you, yeah, they're partners, right? I mean, they're gotta, good, right? <laughs> no, but you got to work together, right, yeah. forever, yeah. right? So I mean, like that is, uh, it's tough to kind of make sure that you. It, you're right. You shouldn't make that decision based only on money, right? That decision has to be made like based on just how well you connect with that person and how kind of uh, strong you feel about and, that. And then the same holds for venture debt as well. Even though these might be shorter relationships in some ways, uh, slightly more time bound between the three, four year time frame, etc. It's still someone you're answerable to, and uh, both parties need to be very comfortable discussing their businesses as many time as it takes and uh, their outlooks. And the stronger the relationship it is, it's just more enjoyable to work. Absolutely. And again, that's basically what the overall startup ecosystem community the, the vibe is what we talk about. Right? Yeah. I mean, I know there are probably more fights between or competition between founders and other startups rather than in the VC community. Right. I think pretty much uh, everyone's sort of patting each other's back in, <laughs> in like, oh, yeah, yeah, you invested a few hundred million dollars. Great. Good oh, for you. Oh, you're really buying Twitter, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the case? Really? I find that strange if that's true, right? Because I mean, like, uh, the one thing that I... I, I think I, all the VCs are always just golfing together or doing wine parties <laughs> together. It's a good life. It is a good life. I'm not saying it's not a good life, but uh, the, the one complaint that I hear from all these guys who I meet, and I mean, like, maybe you can, is that there is, uh, the deal flow in India is fairly kind of not as good as what it would be elsewhere. And because of that, they're all very competitive to get their deals, right? So that kind of seems like an uh, environment which would foster hostility, hostility and hyper competition. Well, it's a business after all. I yeah. think that can't be wished away. So yeah. uh, you're going to want the deals that you want. Right. And if that means doing something that you wouldn't do with a friend in some oh. way. <laughs> <laughs> Inappropriate. Uh, so yeah I think that part of the business will remain uh, one of the things I have felt though is it would be good if there was more open dialogue and discussions like I remember uh, back in the day uh, I think A16Z put out a proper blog post as to why they were investing a 50 mil check in BuzzFeed and that's a learning experience when you're mm. actually starting to understand what goes on once you make a pitch what ho goes on in, on the back end and maybe that's getting better with at least some meetups and mixers and here and there and VCs coming out on Twitter or talking more but definitely a, a lot more insight into just how they go about things being more vocal about their opinion being more vocal about changing their opinion I think right. we're in the business to remain uh to the pulse. We're not in the business of being correct about this going to work or not. Maybe the macros weren't stacked up rightly uh, a few years ago and maybe they're now. So just being in the moment with your decisions and being vocal about it would just probably help the ecosystem Absolutely. even more. Agreed. Absolutely. I mean, it goes doubly for, of course, the startup uh, community, but yeah. uh, I think definitely in the investing company because you guys are obviously doing a lot more research and a uh, lot more focused uh, thesis building across these various domains that you're uh, operating in. And it can only help future founders or future companies and so on, right? So uh, definitely a lot more uh, work has to come out. But uh, that being said, it's still, uh, it's still looking... Because the community is smaller, I think there's yeah, a lot more... Yeah, it's more, more tight-knit. Yeah, yeah there's more, it's more tight-knit. And uh, although we don't see too many deal partnerships between large VC firms 
But venture debt, like you said, uh, gets the advantage of basically. Yeah, we to... we used to call ourselves Switzerland. Uh, we yeah. work with everybody. <laughs> yeah, and uh, while I mean, whatever piece of the pie you get, you get uh, across all startups. And in fact, I'd love to uh, before we wrap up, I want to hear about some unique, uh, I would say, partnerships you were a part of, uh, or the companies were parts of, which have really shaped the landscape of the scene in the last so many years. Um, I, and I, how they actually came out like what did you think of them when they were small and little and you were giving them a few crores and then how did they end up <laughs> so the, I think there are several of those in the portfolio uh, we've worked with some of the earliest e-commerce companies that made it big uh, worked with them several times over so mm-hmm. we've seen them at a series B and then at a series C because the logic of venture debt tends to work at every round you're still saving dilution you're still taking your insurance policy right. uh, and if it's a partnership that both like and see benefit in it's, it's going to remain so uh, I think we've been lucky to work with some of the really big companies in the ecosystem. Um, the other thing, of course, is that these include unicorns. And that's a space probably that the team made an effort to build out to find use cases on why would someone need alternative financing if they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, that is where maybe some of the financial proficiency helps, where you're trying to think in terms of returns on investment and internal rate of returns. And uh, for example, if it's a capital intensive business, you're going to keep needing capital and to take on equity for every single one of those uses may not be the most optimum use of that expensive form. So you're trying to marry that to why you're actually raising the financing. Uh, In some companies, what's worked is just the fact that they want to propel their growth rates. Um, For example, a TV advertisement. Uh, A startup for them, it's not as easy as one of those large companies to get those slots to make an ad Mm -hmm. that works. And it's a huge investment. Uh, You're doing a mass campaign which means probably that you're a pan-India brand and um, those kind of things tend to cost money. And for those use cases, would it help to take a lower cost financing option? Uh, In most cases, it does. So um, I I think in summary, the way it is, if you want to pack a punch in a limited period of time, you want as much capital as you can. You need that fuel in the tank to really start investing uh, in all the experiments that you think can bear fruits because we all know in the VC and tech business, it's disproportionate. Uh, The VC-able businesses are those which do not have a linear growth or return uh, logic to it or anything. And uh, that means every rupee invested could really generate huge amounts of returns. And some of the exits that we saw in the market are exits that we've seen in the portfolio as well. Uh, like Mintra, Flipkart is uh, super well known. There's uh, Free Charge and Snapdeal. And those outcomes uh, and having a ringside view to them and how those businesses have shaped up uh, has validated the model in so many ways that yeah. uh, entrepreneurs after that look at those examples and tend to think that if it made sense for them, uh, we have similar aspirations. So I think we're definitely at a point where you wouldn't brush off venture debt uh, thinking that, okay, we don't want that risk or we don't want that Mm -hmm. headache or obligation. You're really starting to evaluate whether it makes sense for different use cases. And I think that is also the part, the the job of the team to really find how these companies could start using uh, these forms of capital. And I I, I mean, the team plays such a big role in that. 
you need a similar kind of personality to understand what goes with the business or doesn't just as a VC partner would. And that's what makes it a more equitable relationship. You, you're having similar conversations. The DNA is extremely similar. Right. Wow. So, I mean, obviously you guys have invested across sectors and uh, while you will now go on to build maybe something really cool and interesting. Uh, what do you think these guys are going to invest in now? The latest hot sectors are what lending itself <laughs> and uh, crypto <laughs> so what what's your take i mean now you can say this because you're not within a van uh, what's your take would you would you put venture debt into companies who are growing in these crazy domains uh, tricky <laughs> <laughs> what really, can they really take money from you as a loan and then give it out Again, <laughs> is that even structurally possible? I'm sure it is. Um, so online lending is a fairly understood right. concept. A lot of the new age lending businesses themselves, their balance sheets are made of two forms of capital. Yeah. So uh, our organizations have worked with those companies in the past. And that always makes sense because when you're a lending business, some of your capital easily put is just parked away for yeah. safety. Mm -hmm. And why would you take such expensive capital to park away for safety? So that's right. when the debt starts making sense for finance business. Uh, but it's not finance that's caught my attention for what's next for me. Um, when or I, not crypto either. Uh, not crypto <laughs> either. Uh, I may have lost a lot of money also. No, I see. So oh, <laughs> I, I have see. burned my hands. <laughs> no. uh, it, it will come back again is what I tell myself. Um, yeah, that's not a good investment thesis. <laughs> At least I'm honest to tell I don't understand. A uh, sign yeah. of a good VC. Yes. <laughs> um, no, actually, uh, what's sort of, I, I found myself catching the bug from working with such passionate people around me. And uh, like I was telling Amit, I found a problem I couldn't stop thinking about. And it's just a sign I had seen so many times over at work that I knew it was time. Uh, it's uh, actually the healthcare space, which has caught my eye. Uh, it, we, we were talking on just how broken it is. And in my thinking of it more dispassionately and some most of a lot of people who pursue healthcare do it out of personal motivations they went through uh, an experience that was definitely not ideal and possibly more hurtful than it had to be and um, I, some of those motivations then uh, get sort of transform into the passion that you need to solve a problem that's that's not only tough, it's it's also emotionally taxing. You're yeah. dealing with actually actual lives here. It's not a late delivery or anything. You're trying to do something that's slightly more uh, impactful. Mm -hmm. And to that extent, um, what I saw from personal experiences was uh, a, a, a space that touched many lives. I think after fintech, transportation, horizontal e-commerce, food, healthcare is something that touches almost everybody's lives. Mm -hmm. And the amount of innovation we see in that space in India is barely scratching the yeah. surface. Yeah. Barely. Uh, and in fact, even the models that we see, right, I think we're still talking about doing healthcare records online. We're talking about uh, telehealth. Well, and there's some so much of, to be fixed. And so some much, of those yeah. problems. And uh, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, there are companies that are uh, using AI and uh, computer imaging to start getting into sort of more IP-driven technologies. And mm -hmm. it's it's heartening to see that that's coming uh, on the curve as well. But it's, it's still a long way to go. Uh, and 
this is a space that needs so much infrastructural support. Uh, for example, healthcare records, if you're a company that's working on healthcare and you're making it pervasive across your systems, there's not only the policy issue of safety, security and permissions, it's also that can you make it a universal language where all hospitals talk to each other. Yeah. And information is just one piece of it because information alone may not be as monetizable. Yeah. Uh, that's always been right. the problem with information across some of the other industries as well. You need engagement. You need something of value that you're giving and taking. And I believe India is probably at a point where our biggest problem is data sets. Uh, unlike the US where you have an insurance-backed system and all the records are at least in a language and in a system that's more uh, pervasive. Uh, in India, since there is a lack of data set, it's tough to organize anything. It's tough to know the actual extent of the problem. And uh, the Ideal state scenario, for example, is if you have enough data, as it's proven in other industries, you can actually start thinking about diagnosis. You can do predictive analysis on how a person's 60s will be or 70s will be. You can actually start getting so much more useful data when you're doing your clinical trials and figuring what your demography is like. I think information and communication to solve that in healthcare is probably something I'm just re-educating myself in. Uh, nice. Not an expert by any stretch of imagination, but uh, it, it just seems large and stark. No, I'm sure it's going to be awesome and uh, we are looking forward to having you back when when you have some startup to announce, so yeah, I'm really excited. Fun, actually, we should be we definitely. I'm really that. excited. You yes. could be our first second guest or first duplicate <laughs> guest. Yes. Yeah. All right. I think. I mean, this was a great chat. Yeah. No. Exactly. I learned a lot about this stuff, man. Yep. All right. So, Tony, where can folks get in touch with you on Twitter? Uh, how do you? How do they reach you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Suhani one nine one one. Yeah, at the rate, Suhani, 1911, uh, that's me. Okay. Awesome. Um, um, my email is the same at gmail.com, so awesome. I'm, I'm your yeah. Awesome. Let's hope, and you should also join our Slack channel. Yes, you should. <laughs> yes. You know how you do, do, you, do you know how you join the Slack channel? You join the Slack channel by going to the website, ivmpodcast.com slash junior1. Over yeah. there, there's a button which says join the Slack channel. You click that button, send us your email address, and you can join the Slack channel. Yes. Also, uh, we want reviews. We want lots and lots and lots of reviews. Please send us reviews on iTunes and wherever else you listen to the podcast just put a review up say you like the show awesome yeah, the reviews are only meant for Shaladitya and Amit in the show yeah. <laughs> oh, no. but thanks so much for doing this this uh, was, it was awesome it was great. and uh, it was great having you on the show and we're looking forward to what's next and of course if anyone wants venture debt advice Suhani is the yes, person to ask I can consult <laughs> yes. thanks thanks so much for having me it was thank great you. to talking to you guys thanks.